an ear to hear, listen. I want to say that again. He who has an ear to hear, listen to what the Spirit says to the church, even what the choir says to the church. Did you hear those words they just sung? He never promised the cross would not be heavy. Some of us feel like that when we came to Christ, all our problems should be over, and what the first time in a struggle we run. But he never promised the cross would not be heavy. He never promised the hill would not be hard to climb. He never offered you a victory in your life without fighting. Read the Bible. But he did say help would always come in time. And you see, we need to understand that his time is different than our time. And God is never early. He's never late. He's always right on time. And just remember, when you're standing in the valley of decision. You know what that valley of decision is? It's when all the pressure and the struggle of your life seems to close in on you and you think there's no way out. Just remember when you stand in the valley of the decision and the adversary, that would be the devil, says, hey, this isn't worth it. Just give in. Hold on. Hold on to Jesus. God will show up. Now, if we write this, if, instead of Jason writing these words like this, if it had been a Baptist, he'd written, just hold on, God will show up, and he'll take you out of the fire. But that's not what he wrote. He will take you through the fire again because just like in the Hebrews, three went in, four was in the fire, three came out. He may carry you right back through there because, because he wants to teach you. He wants to teach me. He wants to purify me. When I found out, Brother Eric told me last week that they were going to do this song. It caused me to have an Ezekiel moment. Have you ever had an Ezekiel moment? Some of you don't even know what I'm talking about, so let me tell it to you like this. You remember in Ezekiel 37 that the Lord picked up, the Spirit picked up Ezekiel and carried him and dropped him in a valley. And it was full of bones, and they were dry bones. Baptist preachers have long said they know just how Ezekiel felt. Dry bones. Now the truth is those bones were there because there were an army that had lost the victory. And a lot of times in those days when the armies lost, lost the battle and the corpses were left out there, the animals picked the flesh and it was just bones. But then God asked Ezekiel a question. He goes, can these bones live again? And now what would you have said? On this side of the scripture, you'll probably say, well, I would have said what Ezekiel said. I don't think you would have said that at all. I think you'd have been like me, and you'd have said, Lord, these are dry bones. Ezekiel was spiritual enough that when God asked him that question, he said, only you know, Lord. Only you know. Good answer. Agree? Okay. Don't go to sleep quite yet. So now you're wondering, how did I have this Ezekiel moment? When I found out that they were going to sing, Take Me Through the Fire Again, which is absolutely one of my favorite choir songs of all times because of the power of the message, 
I thought last week, you know, I've announced that I'm preaching through the Revelation. I'm preaching through the churches, but maybe I need to change my text and my message. And so I began to wrestle with this. And you know that we're gone this week to the Mississippi Baptist Convention. And I looked at some good scripture, Eric. I looked at Daniel 3. That's where the three Hebrews got cast into the fire. Jesus was seen in the fire with them. They came out without even as much as being um, scorched. But that didn't seem to work. And so then I looked at 1 Corinthians 3, where mine and your works, are you listening, are going to be tried by fire. I was looking at the fire stuff. And it went it's Tuesday morning about 4 o'clock. As we were in the, sleeping in the hotel room, I woke up. And, okay, I don't want to offend anybody here. So I will say that I don't know for sure this was God asking the question or just impressing on me this question as I was wrestling with what to preach today. And the question was simply, are you an idiot? <laughs> Pud's over here shaking his head, and I, and I honestly, I'll tell you, my, my initial answer as I was laying in bed was, well, you know what, that really depends on who you talk to, so don't talk to Pud, okay? And then I got the, the, the distinct impression that God had orchestrated this day, this song, for this church. Are you saying for New Hope? No, I'm talking about for the church we're about to study. If you turn to Revelation chapter 2, if you will. Revelation chapter 2. We're working our way through the Revelation, and it's like, it's like God put all this together. Today we're talking about the church at Smyrna. We're talking about the church at Smyrna. This song could have been the theme song of Smyrna because they were, as you see on the screen, the confronted church. This could have been their theme song for all kinds of reasons. Yes, they, they lived in the valley of decision. They carried their cross daily and they walked daily in the fire of that community. Last week, we talked about the careless church at Ephesus. Ephesus was not careless because they cared less. They were careless because they didn't take care. They just allowed things to happen. They didn't watch it. This is the confronted church as we will read when we read this text. If you will stand to honor the reading of God's word as we read four short verses. Picking up in verse 8. Write to the angel of the church in Smyrna. Thus says the first and the last. The one who was dead and came to life. Does everybody know who that is? Okay, just want to make sure. I know your affliction. I'm going to pause to say, I know that many of the older translations say, I know your works, but the word for work, ergon, is not there in the Greek. It was put there because they understood that Jesus does know our works. I know your affliction and poverty, but you are rich. I know the slander of those who say they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. 
Don't be afraid of what you are about to suffer. Look, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison to test you, and you will experience affliction for ten days. Be faithful to the point of death, and I will give you the crown of life. Let anyone who has ears to hear listen to what the Spirit says to the churches. The one who conquers will never be harmed by the second death. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I pray for the moments that remain. I pray that you will open our hearts and our minds, that you can speak your words into us. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. You may be seated. To understand Smyrna and this, as this confronted church, we must understand the culture. Smyrna was a wealthy place. Smyrna was a booming place. Smyrna was an affluent place. In fact, militarily, they never had lost a war. And yet, the name Smyrna means bitter. It it literally comes from the word that we get the word myrrh from. And most of us know that that myrrh was one of the spices they brought to Jesus at his birth because it was one of those spices that you used in times of death. It's used in times of death, of suffering, of martyrdom. When I read about Smyrna, when I read the background of Smyrna, I find a lot of similarities between Smyrna and America. Smyrna and Columbia. Most people had plenty of things. Most people in the community had plenty of things, so there was no time for Christ. There was no time for his church. There was no time for his agenda. The truth is, even today, as long as the church don't ask too much of us, as long as the church does not want us to change schedule or change our habits or change our lifestyle or change what we do, as long as the church don't want us to change our agenda, we're good. In fact, Tommy Mitchell, not this one, my pastor Tommy Mitchell, said many times to me, he said, you can preach whatever you want to you to your church people, but it's only when you expect them to live by that which the Bible teaches that you'll really get in trouble. People think all the time I'm just, I'm doing all, I'm doing what I want to do and, and, and I'm going to church on Sunday, so that's the first problem with the concept. You can't go to church. You are the church or you're not. As long as I just go and I tend and I do just the bare minimum, I'm good. And here's what I need to tell you. I said that to say this. That may measure up in a culture that we know as American, but it will never hold up at a, at a throne called the judgment seat. Because Jesus didn't die so we could pick and choose. Jesus didn't die to make you happy. He died to make you holy. 
He died to make you right before the God. This church in Smyrna we're going to talk about today, it was beaten up. It was bruised. It was bloodied by the culture. It's the church that Jesus offered no condemnation to. Did you notice that as we read it? Last week we read, we read of Ephesus and Jesus gave a lot of good things and he said, but I got one thing against you. We get to Pergamum next week is going to say, I have a few things against you. This church was confronted on every side. But I want to say this to you today. If the culture is keeping you from being and living like Jesus and responding to Jesus because of how the culture pressures you, the culture, their culture, this culture, a culture doesn't have the last word Jesus does. Yes, he will forgive us of our sin. He will change our life. He will comfort us in our time of affliction by never leaving us or forsaking us. But you see, folks, in order to have that and experience that, you need to have a personal relationship with him. Not a relationship that's just part-time. I'm talking about a personal relationship like your best friend. And when you do that, here's what I want to tell you. Let me give you the payoff. If, you tr- if you'll trust Christ, follow Christ, and invite Christ in your life, he will have your back. He will be there. He will stick with you through the fire. He will take you in and through the fire. Yeah, you may go back again, but you go with him. And that, that, here's, here's your great word today. You can go back through the fire with him as many times he wants to carry you because those three Hebrews were in the fire with him. The the fire was so hot, and they never even got a scorch or a singe. All they were was faithful. Smyrna was confronted in every way. You know why? They presented Jesus as the risen one, as the living one, as the only one. It was all about Jesus. That ran counter-cultural to Smyrna, and it runs counter-cultural to us. Jesus had one thing to say. Are y'all ready? He had one thing to say. You know what it is? Watch this. Verse 9, first two words. I know. Hello, folks. Jesus says, I know. What is going on in your life? Jesus says, I know. Are you getting pressure from the culture? Jesus goes, I know. Are you wimping out on your testimony for Jesus? Jesus says, I know. Whatever's going on with you, Jesus says, I know. To every church, to every church member, to every Christ follower, to every pastor, and every preacher, to every person, Jesus says, I know. So, how about this, how about this confronted church? What does he speak to them that will help us? Jesus knows. So we're going to focus on Jesus and what he knows. And I'm going to give you four thoughts today just to kind of carry home and run around in your mind and let God speak to you through them. First of all, I want you to see his awareness. He is aware. I know. He says to every church, he says to every person, I 
known. I know what's going on. So what's going on? Let's just lift it out and see what's going on here. First thing he says to this church, he says, I know the pressure you're under. I know the pressure you're under. That's what that word affliction means. The word affliction means intense pressure. Some of you men will know this. It's like grinding at a mill. Most people understand what pressure is. Anybody? No, we're not going to raise our hands. I was going to ask, does anybody have any pressure or stress on you today? Sure you do. He knows. Here's the question for you. What's the cause of your stress and pressure, your affliction? What's the cause of it? Is it financial? Is it schedule? Is it family? Is it school? Is it business? What is it for you? Because I'm going to tell you what it was for them. It was their faith. They were under pressure because of their faith. They were in a hostile environment. The people of Smyrna hated the church. They hated the Christ followers. They hated Christ himself. They hated the gospel. And Jesus says, I know. I know the pressure you're under. But, but if you look there in verse 9, he doesn't just say, I know your affliction. He says, also, I know the poverty that you live in. I know your affliction and poverty. Why were they in poverty? What was this poverty? Well, in the Greek language, there are at least two words for poverty. One word for poverty means that individual, kind of like most of us, if not today, at one time in our life, where you literally... You worked and you lived from paycheck to paycheck. You had nothing extra. You couldn't save anything. That was poverty. That's one word for poverty. The other other word for poverty means abject, abject poverty. You have nothing. And that's the word that's listed here. So why did they have nothing? Well, Smyrna was a civilized place. They had trade unions. And they also had this worship thing where you had to worship Caesar. And anybody who wouldn't worship Caesar could not be a member of the trade union. If you couldn't be a member of the trade union, you couldn't work. That that would kind of freeze you out. They couldn't make a living unless they worshiped Caesar and they'd rather walk in poverty under the hand of the Lord than with money having forsaken the God who saved them. You know what the truth is? When I read this, I'm just going to meander just a little bit, so don't beat me up. People have the wrong idea in America today. We've had it so good so long. We think... We think fairness and freedom is the norm. Now, maybe it should be the norm, but it's not. In fact, fairness and freedom really came about with America. That's why we are having millions trying to crash our border and come into our country. This is a great place to live. We have, we have freedom. We have fairness. And, and yet, at the same time, I'm going to tell you, we're losing it. We're losing it. 
And any time it's handed back over to human beings from the hand of God, it's always going to go the wrong direction. We're losing our ability to, our, our freedom of religion at a rate that we don't know yet down here in Marion County. Because most of our leaders at least have some connection to the Lord and connection to his church. But I'm telling you, in other places, our religious freedom is, is being trampled on. Our freedom of speech. I'm reading a book that tells us all about how the freedom of speech is, is being monitored. I guess I could speak to the elephant in the room. Elon Musk just took over Twitter for the purpose of restoring freedom of speech. I don't know how you restore something that was the first thing that was that was established in a country. Hello? And yet, it's at risk now. Back to our story. If you were in Smyrna and you subscribed to following Jesus Christ, chances are you were not going to be able to work because of your faith. Think about that. Just because you're here today... You can't have a job. You can't have money. Just because you're here today. That's where they were, and Jesus says, I know. I know right where you are. I know the pressure you're under. I know the poverty you live in. The third thing he says is, I know the perversion that you live with, that you endure. If you look there, it says, um, I know the slander of those who say they're Jews and are not. We're a synagogue of Satan. I could take that, that sentence right there, and we could be here for a while talking about it. But let's just talk about slander. Barclay, when he, when he tells us about this, he says that some of the slander that was going on in the community was the fact that these folks, on the basis of the Lord's Supper using the body and the blood, that they were slandered against in the community that they had become cannibals. Well, who would want to join somebody that was a cannibal? They also slandered them by telling them that, that, that when they gathered, they were having love feasts that were turning into sexual orgies. They, they suffered the slander of some who were inside the church. Now, that's the thing we need to get to. The perversion. Somebody, people came and they present, pretended to be... Christians, they pretended to be Christ followers, and all they ever did was stir up trouble and turn people away from the gospel. They were just there, as I think about it, they were along for the ride. Make no mistake, their suffering was intense. The outside slander was bad. But dealing with the wolves in sheep's clothing was worse. Jesus simply said, I know. I know what's going on. When that happens in the church today, he says, I know. But Jesus didn't just let it stand. He offered some words to help the church move from being on the defense to being on the offense. And he gave them an alert. I want you to see his alert, number two. You know what an alert is. If you, uh, if you have a weather radio and it goes off, it alerts you. If you just have a cell phone, bad weather's coming, 
Sometimes it goes off. If you're a first responder or a medical person, you have a pager or something that goes off, and it means it tells you that something has happened or is going to happen. When I read this, and I don't want to really develop this a lot, I'm just going to just kind of run through it from 30,000 feet. There are three words here that, that I find. It is the word tried, tested, and time. I just give those three to you because... Because I want you to understand that Jesus is saying, man, suffering is coming. You're going to be tried. You're going to be tested. And yes, it's going to take some time. It's not if it's coming, brothers and sisters. It is when it is coming. Jesus is saying you can count on it. A trial, that first word, is something that kind of tests you where you are. When, you, when, you, when you're tried and you're tested... It reveals something about you. It reveals where you are in the faith. Jesus said, you're going to be tried. You're going to be even thrown into jail. And by the way, you know who's going to throw you into jail? You know who's going to be behind it? It may be the leader. It may be the policeman. But you know who's going to be behind it? Satan. Satan's going to have you thrown into jail to have you tested. You see, it's just like, if you want to make a comparison, it's just like Job in the Old Testament. Have you ever thought about it? Job, the book of Job ends, and Job never knew what was going on. You know about what, more about what went on with Job than Job did when he died. All he had to do was endure it. As hard as it was to lose everything that he lost, he still clung on to his holy God, his faith in God, his love for God. Scripture tells us that this trial and testing that's coming is going to last for a time. It says 10 days. Okay, let me, let me just ask you this. How many of you remember about a month or so ago that we preached a message entitled Numbers? Anybody remember that? Five was for fullness. Five fingers, only the hand, five toes. It means fullness. And multiples of five would mean the same thing. Ten stands for order, so it's fullness and order. Ten days, that's what, that's what Jesus is trying to communicate to us, that this suffering... Be alert. This suffering is going to stay with you until some things are revealed to you. Till either your faith comes out as gold or either you fall away from your faith. It's going to reveal to you. It's the alert. Teach us everything. Third thing that I find here is that Jesus has now, he has now told us that he's aware. He's now raised our alert that some things are going to happen. It's going to be trials and tests. It's going to last for a while. And so he offers his advice. He offers his advice. Now, to unpack that a little bit, um, I want to bring... Uh, the message from ancient Smyrna to us. 
Instead of just telling you what happened, I'm going to tell you, you can see yourself walking that road. You can see yourself knowing that he's aware of everything that's going through, you know, aware of the pressure you're under, the poverty you live in, and the, and the perversion that's around you. You're aware of all those things. And, and, and that he, he's alerting you that, that things are not going well right now, that, that there could be some struggles for us. So what, are he, what is his advice? What is his news for us? His advice will be good for us. I'm going to give you four thoughts. Number one, be strong. Be strong. In verse, I think it's nine, nine, no, ten, he says, don't be afraid. Paul wrote to Timothy and he said, uh, um, God has not given you the spirit of fear. He's given you the spirit of a sound mind. I'm glad I got his mind because my mind don't feel too sound sometimes. Hello? Not too many amens, all right? The truth is, it tells us, don't be afraid. If you let fear overcome you, you let fear of this culture overwhelm you, you let fear uh, drive you, you know what you'll discover? You'll discover that you will run from the things of the world. Now, how can you be strong? can put on the whole armor of God every day. Some of us wonder why temptation pulls us down so often. And it's because, listen to me, it's because we never get dressed for battle. Because we never get dressed for battle. It is true that the Bible says, greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. But let me tell you the antithesis. That means the opposite, Cole. The opposite. Greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. But watch this. Greater is he who is in the world than you are by yourself. You go head to head with Satan, you'll lose every time. And Paul gives us what we need to put on when he says, Put on the full armor of God. You start your day with the Lord. You put on the helmet of salvation. You put on the breastplate of righteousness. You put on the belt of of truth. You put on the shoes that are shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. You take up the sword of spirit and the shield of faith and you'll stand against Satan. Be strong. Second thing he says, be, be faithful. Be faithful. Now, let me frighten you just a little bit. Americans, I know we're American countyans. Watch this. Be faithful. How long should you be faithful? I mean, you know, things are getting pretty bad. How long should I be faithful? Uh, he, gives you a, he gives you the ending point here. Be faithful to the point of death. Oh. Death? Truth is, the only way we'll ever be faithful, I want to speak to you as country boy to country people. The only way you and I will ever be faithful to the point of death is if we fall more in love with Jesus than we do this world. If you're in love with this world, you'll never be faithful to the point of death. The Bible teaches this very clearly when it says to be a friend of this world is to be an enemy 
of God. To be a friend of this world is to be at enmity with God. Be faithful. Put on the armor of faith. If you don't, if you don't put it on, you, your faith will falter. Third thing he says is be courageous. Be courageous. I have tried to convey this since I've been here, and I hope you young people, you teenagers sitting up here, hope you know how much I love you. Look away because uh, that song kind of stuck my heart a while ago. Young people at school, you have to be courageous. You can't be cowards. The adults always go, yeah, get on preacher, so let's do this. Adults, whether you're working, whether you're retired, wherever you're going, be courageous. Every one of us, when the culture pushes back, when the, cut, when the culture pushes back on us, the worst thing we can do is be arrogant. But we can lovingly and firmly be courageous for the Lord Jesus. Have you not figured this out, that they're watching us? I'm reading a book. I'm just going to tell you, it boiled my blood when I started reading it. Do you ever read things you don't want to read? Somebody gave me the book, and I thought, I really don't want to read this, but I did. I didn't get through the first chapter, and my blood was boiling. And it's a Christian book. And the author, about halfway through it, began to convince me Watch this. In the second and third century, Christianity began to mushroom, just explode. How in the world did they do that, Eric? They didn't have Facebook. How in the world did they do that, Todd? They didn't have all this technology. How did they do that? They didn't even have a written Bible. Can I just tell you? This is how they did it. They loved one another. Well, they didn't agree politically. They loved one another. They didn't agree culturally. They loved one another. And they built the entire world around that John 13, 34, 35 passage where Jesus said, A new commandment I give to you, love one another. That, that wasn't anything new, but this is this was what made it new. Love one another like I've loved you. Like I've loved you. Greater love has no man than this, than he lay down his life for his friend. Love your neighbor. Love the Lord God. Love your enemy. Hello? Oh, Brother Jerry, that's really good preaching. We can do that. No, we can't. It doesn't come easy. It doesn't come natural. We need to be courageous. We need to be sure. We need to be strong. We need to be faithful. We need to be courageous. And the only way you're going to do that is know where your ultimate home is, know whose you are, and who you are in Him. The last piece of advice He gave was to be encouraged. He's literally saying, if you will listen to me, 
I've quoted this, and I'm not through quoting it. Let anyone who has ears to hear listen. If you will listen to me, the struggle that you will have here on earth will pale in compared to the glory that you have in heaven. Would you like the word from the text that really lifts this out? Jesus says down at the end of verse 11, he says, The one who conquers, that's overcome, watch this, will never be harmed by the second death. Questions? People love to give advice. We're not so, we don't really like to take advice, but whether we take advice or not depends on our confidence in the person who's given the advice. It's our confidence or lack thereof that causes us to take their advice, heed their advice, or discount and dismiss their advice. Can you think of anyone? Can you think of anyone? Steve, can you think of anyone that knows any more about us than Jesus? The answer is no. Donald, can you think of anybody that knows any more about us than Jesus? Answer is no. His advice is good, it's sound, and it's worth taking. If you know what he's saying, and he says, I'm aware, this is my alert to you that some tough times are coming, if you'll heed my warning, and I want to give you the payoff. You didn't think I'd ever get here. That's his affirmation. This is how he affirms it. This is the response for every person who lives for him. Let me give you something that you know, but it may not have registered. Teenagers, you probably want to know this more than these old people do. Here's the deal. God gives his promises to us, but almost always they are conditional promises. Well, that's not right. God's love goes on and on. And it does go on and on. But it's always, you go back and you read the Old Testament. Here it is. If you do this, then you will get this. And if you don't do this, then you'll get that. Hello? Go back and read it. You'll seek me and find me when you seek me with how much of your heart? All of your heart. He told kings, he said, if you'll do what I tell you to do, things will go well. But if you don't, things will go badly. I want you to see three thoughts here, and I'm done. The first thing he says, his affirmation, he says, I will make you a conqueror. Down in the middle of verse 11, the one who conquers. The church at Smyrna needed this message because they felt like they were being overrun. A conqueror. Does everybody know what a conqueror is? It's the winner. The one who overcomes. It's the one who prevails. It's the one who sees the end. These people needed this affirmation and encouragement because they didn't even feel like they were going to get through the day, let alone life. Today, you may have decided that you're going to Follow Jesus. You may have faced opposition. You may have faced oppression on every turn. 
This message is for you. You may lose a battle every now and then, but he's already won the war. You see, the victory is ours. We, I love this is an old gospel song, Eric. We've been made more than conquerors. Overcomers in this life. We've been made victorious through the blood of Jesus Christ. He says, man, I'll make you a a conqueror. Then he says, I'll offer you cover. C-O-V-E-R. I will offer you cover. What is that cover? Well, here's what I I want you to be reminded. We have the luxury of reading the Revelation and I preached this third or fourth time and preaching through Revelation. You've you have studied through it, so you know the end of the book. You know the end of the chapter. The folks at Smyrna, these churches, they didn't know it. They didn't know that Revelation twenty, verse twenty and twenty one were going to even be in there. They didn't even know what the second death was. They all they knew is they were under pressure, and Jesus was given this letter to encourage his people. So he mentions the second death here. It says, the one who conquers will never be harmed by the second death. You see, Revelation 20, verses 20 and 21 say something like this. Whose ever name was not written in the Lamb's book of life. And the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. The lake of fire is the second death. I believe Jesus put this here because he knew that was coming before he finished his revelation and he didn't want them frightened. He wanted them to know they had a friend. He wanted them to know that if they trusted him, they had cover. He wanted to know that when they were facing the fire, they were in the fire, they could get through the fire because his blood will cover them. This message today, his blood, are you listening? His blood will cover your past. His blood will cover your sin. His blood will cover you when you come to Him and you follow Him. He says, I'll make you a conqueror. I'll offer you a cover. And I will give you a crown of life. We're blessed in this church with our young people. Many of them are running and winning, and they stand on that winner's platform, and they get crowned. And, you know, I think probably every time they have it and, 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 and win that it's special for them. But you go, I crown a life. Yeah, what's the deal? Well, here's what I want to tell you. This crown's different. This crown's different. Every human being who has ever lived walk in darkness and sin. And the only thing in their future is death and hell. And the only way that we're going to overcome death and hell is to have someone who has defeated it for us. That's why Jesus wrote in the very first, up to in verse 8, he says... The one who was dead and came to life. To conquer death. To conquer the grave. 
to conquer hell. We needed a victory and we needed a victor. Jesus was dead and he is now. Well, most of us got that. Thank you, Brent. I'll say that again. Jesus was dead and now he's. You see, he's won the victory. He's won the victory over it all. And he gives you the crown that you get to wear and have. It's a crown of life. But I'm going to just tell you, you don't get to wear your crown for all eternity. You don't get to wear your crown for eternity. Did you know that? Because all you're going to do with that crown is take it off your head and lay it at the feet of the one who won the victory. That's what he's called us to do. That's what he's called us to be. The crown was offered to them. Be offered to us in that day. And here's why. No matter who you are, no matter what you've done, Jesus is still the answer for the world today. Yeah. Above him, there's no other. Jesus is the way. If you've never trusted Jesus, don't become like the confronted church in a struggle all by yourself. Hear and heed his words. Let's pray together.